Hello and welcome to another episode of the UXR podcast. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Michael Winnick, and you know the product that he's built. It's called DScout. He's a CEO and co-founder there. Today we talk about a bunch of different things like democratization of research, trends we're seeing in the research space, and why generative research is more important than ever. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I'll see you on the other side. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the UXR podcast. Uh, today, I got a very special guest who I'm very excited to have on the, on the program. You probably have used this product before. If you haven't used it, you've probably read some content by his company before. I have Michael Winnick joining me, CEO of DScout. How's it going, Michael? It's going great, Alec. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. Really excited to talk to you and you know, been so impressed with all the success of your company and your team. Oh, so with, uh, other, other people in the community. I really appreciate that. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation because um, DScout's obviously a very interesting company. And, you know, we're going to get into it in a little bit. But one of the things that's special about what the team is building there is that it's enabling something that didn't exist before, before like digital technology and digital products and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's really neat, but I feel like the natural place to start here is to start at the beginning. Um, and so, you know, it'd be really cool, I think, to tell a bit of the founding story around where this kind of came from for you. Why did you start this company? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to get into that. So this will be semi semi autobiographical. So so bear with me. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's funny when I when when I saw you know when I heard your question. I think my, the first place my brain went was, man, it would have been a lot smarter to have just solved a known problem and issue that researchers have. That would have really made my life a lot easier and probably shaved, you know, four years off of the the D Scout story. Oh well, oh well. Uh, <laughs> you're right. I think you know. I I think D Scout's inspiration does come probably from a different place than a lot of other tools because it was really just born out of a different context. So, you know, at the time I started D Scout, I was a partner in a small innovation agency called Gravity Tank, which is kind of think like IDEO, Midwestern IDEO. We had research, strategy, and design. So the turn of the century. You know, which I think appropriately dates it a little bit. So, you know, the the aughts, you know, of, uh, you know, before kind of 2010. Uh, and, you know, we were really focused on when, when customers worked with us, it was really focused on how do we create new products and services and new opportunities. So we were really pushing on the generative side of research. Right. So I'd say we D Scout's research lineage tends to run a little bit more towards the design research side of the world. So that's all about context and creative uses of STEM and really pushing on activity-based research and trying to get people engaged. So, you know, and, and if I think about at the time and still today, I mean, I've always kind of been inspired by the research that kind of goes for the big things, you know, reframes and 
provocative things. I mean, I always wanted to do research that didn't just create a good report, it created an epiphany. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was always aiming for like the, 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 the high bar, uh, in that sense of creative research or cool research. And so, we, uh, kind of through GT, we were always pushing these techniques and we had a great research team led by Martha Cotton, who, uh, runs Fjord today. And we were just always trying all these different things. So one of the things we started playing around with was actually based on Flickr and kind of using that as a, as a quick diary tool. Um, so, and then I think, um, it's interesting because I, I do actually specifically remember kind of the moment and situation where I mentally committed to doing D-Scout. What was, what was that switch for you? It's funny. We were at the time, so this was in the 2009, 2010, right in kind of that space. We were doing a lot of work, you would imagine, on the rise of smart devices. Right? We did this big ethnographic study that was kind of on our own around the app phenomenon. So I don't, you know, we can go back in time to, to those days when apps were like, you know, using the accelerometer on your phone to like fake drink a beer. Right? So ridiculous little, you know, uh, Do you remember the, the I'm Rich app? That was something. Yep. That was, uh, yeah. yeah, $999 and it just, a screen that says, I am, I am really rich. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was, I think Yo, you know, there were oh, a lot man. of really high quality, high quality apps uh, back in the day. And, you know, but, you know, we had seen obviously the, the, the start of apps and kind of the, the traction. So we were doing this research and we were flying researchers, you know, we had a great team across the country to observe people using their phones and discussing apps. And we were doing all this work, right? We had video cameras, we'd bring the video back and we you know, have to transcode it and upload it and analyze it, right? And so... As we were doing it, I just had this feeling that what we were doing was so anachronistic, right? It just felt like something from a from a, another era. And I was like, wow, okay, so all these people have these devices that are going to get better and better. They're going to have great recording capabilities of their own. Shouldn't we be... Using it? <laughs> utilizing that and not doing all this other stuff, right? So that was, that was kind of the in, insight one. Uh, insight two from the same project was, I think... You know, while it was the days of beer drinking apps, I think we pretty quickly realized or, or kind of came to the conclusion that this was going to be a really profound change for society and business. And so Insight 1 and Insight 2 kind of met and really led to D-Scout, right? So because we started thinking about what that meant for our business and the, the world we were operating in. So, you know, more than a decade later, um, lots of learning along the way. I think we're kind of still working on Honestly, just trying to deliver on the basic spark yeah. from a decade ago. It's it's funny, um, you know, obviously this pandemic that we've been living through has been utterly miserable um, and super bad. Uh, but one thing that has been really interesting about it has been you're kind of seeing in real time the collective acknowledgement of every pretty much every business that like the fundamentals are changing of like life, sure. the fundamentals yeah. of life are changing. And if we don't understand them, we are going to fall behind, which, you know, uh, if you go back like five or six years, you know, it wasn't a guarantee that, that a lead designer or, or a lead product leader would be like, Oh yeah, I should definitely talk to users cause I don't know a lot about them or I, I still have more right. to learn. Yeah. The consensus point of view was like, 
oh, I know my users. I look, I, I look at the analytics. I, I, I got this. I read the tickets. And it's like, yep. but do you? <laughs> and, yeah. and now you're seeing this where it's like everything about our lives is changing. Work's changing. Social life is changing. How we live is changing. And so how do you capture that? It's like we need a lot of research and we need new ways of doing research. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really accurate depiction of the moment we're in. And, you know, it's great to see. I love looking at the research that people are running on, on Dscout. I get a little bird's eye view into all the questions people are asking and how many of them are questions about really what's going on right now. How are you coping? How are you adjusting? How are your expectations changing you know, across across all of our customers? So it's it's really uh, it's really great to see the the things that people are trying to work through at this moment, in spite of obviously it being such an unbelievably challenging and difficult moment for for so many people. But I also feel you know a small bit of pride that we're also trying to help solve some of those problems too. So anything from the way people are taking COVID tests to vaccines to wearing masks, all of those things are being researched on DScout. So it's it's nice to see uh, our tools being used for. For, for those sorts of things as well. And I think to your point, you know, I, was, I think about this all the time um, and we'll maybe talk about it a little later because I actually started my career as a product manager and then I actually went to design school and became a designer. And I've just become a researcher kind of over time because the challenge in all of those other fields to me was still fundamentally, you know, what makes a great product and what makes great design? You know, is, is it the result of a, uh, of of a eye or style kind kind of but i really think it's actually the result of clarity and connection and i think those things come from understanding right and so i've always as as a starting as a product manager starting as a designer i was always like man i, I really want to be focused on what do people want not just what they say they want Although that's okay sometimes. <laughs> what, what do they want? Uh, and how do we give it to them in a compelling way? And I always found that those were the questions I was always attracted to in my career, but also the questions that were the hardest ones to answer. So I, I think that's interesting because, you know, we're basically we're touching on, A, some things that are staying, you know, that are consistent, that are staying the same around like building great products and like what are the fundamentals there? And at the same time, you know, we have this tr these trends that are, you know, naturally changing as trends tend to do, um, you know, Part of that has been the the pandemic, you know, driving a lot of forcing a lot of change. Um, but research has been changing for a while, uh, even before that. And one of the big things that uh, I know is relevant to the work that you're doing is this piece around democratization, which I think is a word that tends to make people sometimes really grumpy and sometimes you know sure. elated. Um, which, you know, just to kind of define it for the purposes of this discussion, we're talking about structurizing research and, and providing guidance in a structured way so that many people can participate and not just trained researchers. Um, but this has been a big thing that, that I, I imagine you guys have seen and has probably had a pretty profound impact on what you guys have been doing. You know, can you talk a bit about what, what, uh, how you viewed that, how you've experienced that yourself? Sure. Yeah, I think um, democratization to me is, it, as kind of I, I just said, a, a personal thing in a way because I started my career in the olden days as a product manager, and then I was a designer or went to design school, right? And kind of through those things, I always felt like the question I had was, how can I walk in other people's shoes? And and to do it, and I felt like I had to be to do it well. I had to go to a cobbler. 
you know, or I had to like become a cobbler. Sorry, this, I'm going to just crush this metaphor. Uh, but I, you know, I, I had to, there was a lot to do to do what it seemed like somewhat of a simple impulse or act. Right. And so, you know, I, I do think that, that those ideas of, of, you know, having clarity and feeling connected to people is so important. And, and I think it needs to show up. I think great products, you can kind of see the fingerprints of the creators in a certain way. I mean, it's very wabi-sabi in terms of like Japanese design, but there's a little part of it when it's really good, you can kind of see that intentionality in, in what's created. And so I've always been trying to figure out how do, you, how do you get that? How do you do that? And I think that, you know, democratization to me is, is a very natural part of that. I think I'm actually uh, incredibly excited to see all of the experimentation that researchers are doing in the world of democratization. Uh, but I also recognize that it's, it's really challenging. It's actually fairly easy to democratize crappy research. For sure. Yeah, oh yeah, right. that's the that's, that's among the easiest things there is. You know, <laughs> it's it's pretty hard to democratize good research and to democratize good research practice. And I think that we're in the really early days of doing that. And I think there's just so much learning in the community about how to make that happen. I think D Scout is excited to potentially participate in that. But I think that's to me the real question is is how do we how do we make progress in democratizing what we would determine as you know, at a level of quality or standard that we think both fits the field, but also I think there's a real sensitivity to not supplanting the field. You know, I would kind of say that, you know, I, I certainly recognize the concerns of researchers around, hey, you know, we do this, what, what are we doing? And kind of what's our, what's our role? Um, but I'm a real believer that democratization uh, has to work through researchers and research teams. Yeah. You can't work around them. Yeah, you know? I think, and I think, that, I think that's really important in terms of how you do this, quote unquote, the right way. For sure. I, I think that's exactly, um, I mean, that, that's got to be the way forward. The thing that I, I talk with a couple of friends about all the time is around democratization is that it is, it's a false choice, right? You know, you know the question of do I democratize, right. do I not democratize? Whether you like it or not, the people you work yeah. with are acquiring information and you're using that information to make decisions. Now you can either influence how that information is acquired, uh, who acquires that information, what steps they go to acquire that information and analyze that information, but you cannot prevent them from doing that. It's a natural thing, right? We are naturally right. curious beings. Um, and I think to a degree, I would say, now this is sl slightly uh, thinner ice, I guess I'm going to weigh it out on here and just say that, I think there's this, I agree, I think it's a necessity, but it's also the right thing to do. Meaning, I think that our field by nature, I think has to be a pretty inclusive, pretty big tent. You know, I think that we have to accept the fact that as, as expert trained researchers, the thing that we do is really different than the thing that other people do. You know, I like this metaphor sometimes when I talk about D-Scout, I'm like, we, we're kind of the gym. We have all the, we have all the equipment, right? We've got we got free weights, you know, we've got the, the things for, for heavy power lifters, but there's this other group of people too, that should come to the gym regularly, yeah. <laughs> but we're a really different thing. Right. Does that make, it's not the same thing. And I think the challenge is both separating what those things are and, and, and I think, I think, and having the whole organization to a degree, understand that they're different, right? So the things I talked about from 
my early days of research, the generative side, more quote unquote strategic research, the messy stuff, like, you know what? You need to be a pro. You got to be a, to do that stuff well. But there's a lot of other stuff that I think we can build a better sense of connection and a better sense of clarity that I kind of call little R research versus big R research, right? So the, the things that lots of people can participate in. And I think that just so many fields have gone through this, right? So, you know, um, many people use a spreadsheet inside a company to do, uh, to do modeling. Right. Right. But there's some people that are really good at it and they're a lot better than I am. Right. And they're, they're pros. Right. And when you have a serious modeling task, you're not going to be like, I'm just going to do this myself. Right. Right. You can hand it off to somebody else and that's well understood. Yeah. There's a sense of self-awareness and if, and if not self-awareness, then some, uh, directed feedback from a research professional to help people understand where competencies begin and end. Um, which is again, part of the democratic, the the proper or or well thought through democratization process to your point. I think it's tough. I mean, I think it's a challenge for the field because I think, you know, when I'm wearing my research hat, you know, my favorite moments as a researcher are getting those point moments of clarity when you're in the data and you're like, ah, Oh yes, that, that's it, right? That's that's the thing. I'm not necessarily, you know, I think as a field, we're a little less trained in, well, how do we set up operational programs and training cohorts and manage a QC process? Those are those are different skills than have been in the traditional toolkit of the of the research team, or we're kind of where we've historically gotten both our uh, our training as well as kind of the joy in our job, right? So I think there is a a big change in terms of building those skills and capabilities. And certainly the rise of research ops is one piece of that. But I'd say that overall, I think that skill set is still pretty nascent in our, in our field. Yeah. In in a sense, it's almost like, um, you know, we've had this initial, uh, we found this initial niche in the tech org and now we're expanding. And when you're expanding, there's this natural, uh, need and desire for specialization, whether it's on an operation side, whether it's in a particular sure. method, particular form of analysis, um, even within, you know, the more management tasks. Um, so I think that's a healthy thing. It's a good thing to your point. Speaking of like how this fits in, in the broader organization, I know like one of the things um, that is really challenging for a lot of researchers, which, and then there's an irony to this, of course, is to st- uh, understand the perspective and point of view of the colleagues that they work with most closely. And I think that, um, you know, one thing that, that has stood out to me from a lot of conversations I've had is, uh, the obliviousness of what the incentives are of our partners in the product organization, what they get promoted based off of what they get fired based off of what earns them, you know, more trust and respect versus what degrades trust and respect. And I think that this is part of, this is something that's getting in our own way of growth, preventing us from growing more. Um, you know, as someone who's had this experience of, you know, working as a product manager, working as a designer, um, and obviously, uh, in research, you know, what do you think are some of the things that, that we're just not really getting right now that we got to internalize better in order to be better partners and in order to, to, to succeed? That's uh, a, that's a great question. Yeah. I, I'd say first off, you know, I think that there are two things to me that, that come to mind when I think about this. The first is, uh, basically, you are a business person. And by that, I mean a researcher. I'll come back to that one in a second. And the second one is, in general, be an accelerator and not a speed bump. So let me, let me, let me pick number one, which is, 
years ago, I was at a, a research conference and there was a panel and it was how to talk to business people. And I remember sitting in that being like, does anyone walk around and think I'm a business person in a company? I actually don't think so. You know, I think most people in companies are like, I'm a product manager, I'm a designer, right? That this idea that the field others itself a little bit in terms of like, there's this business thing. We don't do that. I think that's a, I think that's a dangerous trap to fall into. Uh, one is as grid researchers, we all know we should understand the context that we operate in kind of to your point around incentives, right? But also like you can be a business person. That's okay, right? I think that one thing that you you need to understand, right? I think this is true for all employees to be successful in modern organizations is you need to understand how the business works. You need to understand how it makes money, how it doesn't make money, what it spends money on, right? And I think to the degree that you can get that basic understanding, I think it gives you a much better vehicle to be successful in terms of being able to tie your work to the to the kind of the core fundamentals of the way the business operates. Can you give an example now, of, that, of what that know, would look like in practice? Um, just to like add a little more specificity there. Like I know the business a little bit, or I know the business, how it makes money is this way. What does that mean for, you know, the next project I do with this PM or, or this design lead? Sure. Yeah. I think that ultimately, you know, obviously very different in, in different companies, but I think in a lot of companies, uh, we're, we're operating in. It's, it's being able to tie findings to some understanding that h- how does this change the, the user experience in a way that drives some sort of KPI? So for instance, you know, one of the things I think that's a great territory for researchers almost always is, you know, modern business models so much hinge on retention. Retention's probably the, one of the most important things to look at in terms of your user base, right? So who's sticking around and making sure they keep sticking around, right? Many digital companies spend a lot of time focused on retention. Many of the things that we uncover in research are are often tied to the things that can either create retention or drive the opposite, which is churn, right? So finding ways, you don't necessarily have to say, hey, this finding will create a 1.7% reduction in, in churn, right? Or something like that. But simply actually being able to speak the vernacular of, hey, understanding you're really focused on retention, for instance, as, as a metric, here's how the things I'm, I'm finding and, co- and, and discovering, here's how they relate to that, right? So you're at least giving some understanding or some way to think about the things you're doing and how you can tie them back to, uh, to the business results themselves. And I think you know, it's, I've heard so many times with researchers this idea that we want a seat at the table right? We want to see it at the table. And I think the, the challenge, which I think this is tying to, is this idea that the table, it's, it's as if what I sometimes hear the, f- the people in the field saying is, I want the, everybody else to create a space to care about the way I think about things, or I approach things. Does that make sense? And a little bit, I just want to make sure people understand the reverse is also required, which is, to be at that table, you also have to understand the the ways that other people think about things. And I think that's hard for us in this field because, which I, I love about this, I love the people in this field. I don't know if you feel, you know, like I love everyone I talk to, there's, there, there's so many people in this field that care, you know, their hearts are in the right place. And I think part of our challenge is we are in some ways by nature so um, 
it, you know, this field, there's a lot of methods in this field, but at its heart, it's a mindset. It's just a way we think of approaching the world. And it's hard for us to sometimes encounter alternate approaches to the world. And then to feel like, you know, and so I think we struggle with sometimes translating between those different mindsets versus saying, you know, oh, they just don't understand or they don't get it, you know, or wanting them to under, wanting others in quotes to understand our mindset without necessarily taking the time to understand the reverse. Yeah. The other thing I, I kind of mentioned at the start is this idea of being an accelerator and not a speed bump. I think specifically when working with founders or other leaders, often I think there's a, there's a vision that we're trying to create and make. And I think when you can align to saying, Hey, I'm going to help make that vision happen faster and kind of with more, uh, with, with more clarity and direction, I think it's very appealing. I think when, when researchers see themselves a little bit more as, Hey, I'm going to slow everything down. I'm going to intentionally add friction to the process. I think that's just culturally, sometimes it's valuable to do and necessary, but often I think it just starts putting you already in this oppositional form, which I think is generally a, a point of weakness in terms of the ability for the rest of the organization to kind of adopt these practices. Yeah, I think, you know, just to build on that, I think that's, that's totally right. I think something we, I, I don't know about you, but I hear a lot is that, you know, researchers like to say, my job is to represent the user. And I think that like, that is hundred percent not true. The user doesn't pay your check. You know, the right. user doesn't employ yeah. you. Your job is to represent the truth about what's happening. And so, you know, when you take, again, when you take a, a, a point of view about your role, that you are uh, like uh, strictly an advocate for the people who are not, you know, paying your bills, <laughs> you're going to find friction. And that's, that's like a natural outcome from positioning yourself that way. Right. I am very excited. I think that is true, but I also feel a little bit like the thing that's happening, especially in digital companies, but elsewhere as well is that, you know, I think I, I, the world is coming our way, big picture, right? The world is, if I look at the fountainhead of digital organizations, it's all stuff that actually has come out of research. It's crazy, right? Like what do, what do uh, salespeople talk about all the time? They talk about personas. Where'd that come from? It came from user research. You know, you talk about the buyer journey, the user journey, Right, it came from journey mapping. You know, I think that if you look at the heart of marketing, product, sales, you know, even HR and operations are becoming more focused on employee experience. Right, I think that kind of the the vernacular and thinking, largely speaking, is turning towards kind of a much more experience focused or kind of user driven point of view. And so, I think that gives us as a field just an enormous opportunity in terms of where we can contribute beyond kind of the traditional confines of where we played. I think that's well said. And let's transition over to something that's related here, um, which is just around, you know, talking about, so we've been talking about the relationships we have with our, with our colleagues, with our peers. There's also a part that I don't think is talked enough about, which is around building healthy relationships with our, with our users, with the people we study and work with. Um, you know, are there any sort of best practices that, you've learned and developed over the years um, that really help build uh, that healthy long-term relationship between uh, researchers and 
those participating in research? Sure. Yeah, I think a, a bunch of things come to mind, and maybe I'll kind of go through them. Go through them in turn. I think I think the first is you know I've always been a believer in in incentives, compensating participants, and I think that's not just because we have to do something to get people to do research. I think it's because it sets up the right uh, expectations and relationships. You have an expertise. You have an expertise in your own experience. And that expertise is worth something. And I want to learn from you. So I think it's pretty important. I know it's something that almost all researchers do or believe in, but it's especially important in democratization to not forget that that's a pretty key part of the, of the deal. I think secondly is, you know, I'm always trying to figure out a couple questions when I'm looking at research designs. One is working with research to say, how can this research itself sound and feel more human? When do you, uh, especially in diary or unmoderated methods, you can kind of skip over rapport building. You can skip over the thing. You're just like, tell me, you know, let, let's just get down to business. Does that make sense? Versus actually spending time to, to remind people you're a human, <laughs> right? The person doing it. Uh, I've got needs and questions that I'm trying to figure out and kind of bringing the participant in as, as someone that's actually helping you on this process along the way versus having this really arm's length kind of semi-academic approach to research, which is kind of like, you know, you are a subject and, you know, I am performing a probe on you. Like I, I tend to try to really push, push away from that and kind of, kind of create the tone and, and shorten that distance in terms of working with people. I think the third thing is, you know, if you're going to create situations where people are uncomfortable, and I mean, because you're asking them to share something that they don't feel comfortable with, if you're going to create a situation where they feel awkward, you know, or maybe at the lightest form, simply bored. Right. I think, I think those are things that not only um, are, are bad in terms of effectively the ethics of the field, but I think more basic, it creates bad research. You know, I always want, you know, to me, great stuff comes when your participants are learning and they're observing things in their own lives and they're seeing things in a way they haven't before where they're making their own connections. And, and when you do that, you get, you get really interesting stuff. So, so, so often, I think when I'm looking at research, I'm asking, can a human answer that question? Are they going to be excited? How are we pulling them in? How are we tapping into their passion and their interest um, versus, you know, doing things that kind of put them on edge or make them uncomfortable with what we're trying to do? Yeah, I think I think I think those are three really, really smart things that uh, I think are, are very sound. Um, I, I that last one uh, really rings true for me. I, I, every time I fill out a survey like and I and most of the time it contains at least one often more questions where I look at it and I'm like what do you think I can possibly put as a response to this that would be in any way helpful to you and b that makes any sense to me um I I recently filled out a survey where uh they asked me a question how did I feel about this experience from 1 to 10 like okay I don't First of all, I, I'm not really sure how to answer that, but you know, pretty good. Maybe that's eight. Sure, I could put eight. And then there was a question: uh, Please elaborate on why you chose that number. And that's like, well, <laughs> what are you looking for here? Like, why eight? Why not seven? Why eight? Why not ten? Why not zero? 
the there were many components of this experience you right. know like what do you want me to say here because i can't you know i don't know how to express something that makes sense to me that will be in any way helpful to you um how would you have how have, would you have reworked that i, I think you need to, I think sometimes we, we choose questions that seem very simple at the beginning, right? Like rate your experience from whatever to whatever uh, that contain a multitude of factors that we don't necessarily spend the time to like unpack. So a really good example for us would be uh, when we do our post-conference survey um, uh, after UXRConf, we have one sort of meta question, right? Which is, you know, how would you uh, describe your experience from on a scale from one to five? But we say one is it was terrible and five was this was amazing, right? So we I'll add a little bit of color to that. But then the more important thing was then we take a step further where we define quality for our events as you had a good time, you met some new friends, you learned some new things, right? And so we ask people to describe which bucket they fall into. Did you learn many new things, a few new things, one new thing or no new things, right? Yeah. And that's how we define success internally. But you know, I, we could hypothetically take approach, which is like rate your experience from one to 10 and then please elaborate, right? And it's, right. I don't know what we you could know, take what, away from what that. What I like on this one, this one is the one I like. Yeah, go for it. What's a 10 experience for you? Well, what's a one experience? Name them. Where do we fall on that, right? So I love that for pizza. What's a what's a what's a five pizza? You know, <laughs> there's a specific place. Their pizza is amazing. It's my favorite pizza. What's a one pizza? Oh, it's the worst pizza ever. Where is our pizza? Because I've the the scale becomes to the user. It's like right? a it becomes their it, their opinion. So yeah. I always love trying to. I love continuums. I but I also like love trying to get. I totally agree. Getting the the painting the kind of the edges. Getting those right. Uh, but also love it when you can kind of say, you know, let's put UXR comp on a, on a TED, you know, on the one end, I don't know, on a, what's, I don't know what a terrible <laughs> event is, but I'm sure there are many Spending out there. Spending time with your in-laws is a one. You know? <laughs> so pretty cool when you can actually get that kind of context, right? All of a sudden, I think people, that's a great example of where people can, can contribute. And I think even your comment is just giving them some, giving them some way to understand uh, and, and kind of creating, you know, I think it's like creating some constraints. So they're like, they have a sense of how to attack something. Yeah, I, th I think it's interesting you mentioned that um, because I, I think that what that calls out to me is, you know, and I think we're getting a little, we're, we're di digressing a bit just talking about surveys, but I think it's it's a really great thing that you mentioned here because I think you can only look at one, when it comes to a survey question, you can look at one area of mystery at a time. Right. So for us, we're really fortunate in the sense that we've done a lot of interviews. We've done a lot of qualitative research and we understand what the components of a good conference experience are. There are three. Right. right? And yeah. here's the range of like buckets that people tend to fit themselves into. So we can strictly ask the question, like in terms of what mystery we're trying to solve, where along this well understood or defined continuum do you place your, your answer? In, in, a, in the different case that you mentioned there. Right. Uh, so in, in ours, we can compare, right, those numbers. In right. yours, we don't really care about what exactly the number is. It's probably more helpful for us to investigate the mystery of what the range is. And I think that's right. like a great example of, of that. And depending on the context, depending on how much you know, depending on how much qualitative research you've done, that where that area, mysterious area of focus is for you can shift pretty dramatically. And then you got to like respond to that too, right? And again, come right. back to respecting the respondent. How do I help them 
help me. Right. And I think this point too of just what are what are the sorts of choices or things we can put in front of people that they can make that also just, you know, that makes sense to them, right? So there's just so many research techniques you see to your point, like, I don't know how to answer that, right? I don't know, you know, so I, I think it is just this, I, I do think that, you know, you can be human-centered in any method to a degree, right? So a lot of it is just knowing the learning and knowing how you can put things in front of people in a way that they're, that, that they can answer successfully. Yeah, I love that. Okay, final question for you. Um, 2020 was rough. We're into 2021. Yeah. What's your one hope or wish for the research community in 2021? I'll, I'll be very selfish with this one, which is I really miss getting out and meeting, and, and meeting people. So the wish is been, everybody gets uh, that vaccine, get it in your arm, yeah, get I mean, safe, and let's hang out again in I've person. Been <laughs> in my attic for like a year, so yeah, I you feel know, that. Uh, we've been, you know, I'm I'm very excited uh, to as much as I love remote research and, and uh, obviously see a lot of benefits. I know I'm excited to to uh, get on some planes sometime this year and to you know so much of my you know I think. Uh, this is such a, a great community and, and so much of it is just getting to spend time with people and, and reconnect with them. So that, that's my very selfish wish is that we will all be able to be uh, semi, semi mobile at some point this year and, and to, and to reconnect. Amen to that. I love it. Um, cool. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, looking forward to catching up hopefully in person next. And uh, yeah, Alec, it's great, great to be here. So, and I, I would, I would love that. So I'm happy to, to come to where are you in Toronto? Uh, close close to Toronto, yeah. Nearest, yeah, okay. nearest Toronto. Well, I'll make the drive. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah, of course. Hey there, and I hope you had a great time listening to this episode of the UXR podcast. Don't forget, there's a place where you can learn lots of great research stuff for free, and it's over at joinlearners.com formerly known as uxrcollective.com. We've got lots of new research content coming out all the time and you can watch it all for free over there. So head over to joinlearners.com and I uh, hope you enjoy learning even more fun research stuff. See you next time.